People, three quick things you can do to support me and support the Value Economics Podcast. Number one, subscribe to the Value Economics Podcast. Number two, leave a five-star rating if we deserve it. Number three, if we deserve it further, leave a review. Something nice, something mean, whatever you value. I don't care. Let's get into the show. Everybody's got to Value Economics Podcast. Six million ways to die. Choose one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Value Economics Podcast. Happy Monday. I hope you guys all had a great last week. I hope everyone had a very happy Valentine's Day. And it is actually President's Day today. So happy President's Day. Shout out to all the presidents that we have had in the country. And I hope you guys have the day off. I hope you guys are taking some time. I don't know if anyone really celebrates President's Day, by the way. I think we should. We should honor the people who have commanded the country, whether we like some of the people, whether we don't like some of the people. Regardless, it is an important holiday, and I hope that everyone takes the time at least to acknowledge it, treat yourself in some way, or whatever. Anyway, so today... We are going to dive right into it. I'm loving these shorter, punchy Monday conversations because I can get more transgressive very, very quickly and talk about some unpopular things that I don't think could be spanning an entire article, although I think this could do so. I've talked about this topic a lot in general, but this subject specifically is, I think, a very nuanced topic, but one that I can really drive home in a monologue-type fashion. So this is something I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. I heard a lot of blowback from this controversy or whatever this is being labeled as. I heard a lot of things that are either good, either not good about the way we perceive this or whatever. And I think that it's a worthwhile conversation to have from multiple angles. So I can't wait to dive into it. And here we go with diving into it. So our culture is in for some tough conversations in the next couple of months and years. It seems that the crows in all fundamental areas of life are coming home to roost. People aren't seeing to do the whole shoving things under the rug thing anymore. They're done with letting bygones be bygones. People just, quote, doing them with letting things go by the wayside. In a year that will be defined by acknowledging either fantasy or reality, the truth is, and always was, the thing that reigns supreme. These conversations will, not be, will be tough not because the material is hard to comprehend, because, in fact, the opposite is true. These conversations will be tough because these conversations are foundational and abundantly simple. They're really not that complicated at all. However, their non-complication is exactly why they will be hard. There are very fundamental truisms in our society and foundational truisms in our society that are turning out to be lies. The veneer is cracking. The Overton window is shifting. There are many things that can finally get people to acknowledge this. And usually it takes some combination of controversy and virality to get the conversation started and clearing through a bunch of idiocy to get to the meat of the issue itself. This is no different whether you're talking about climate change or racial inequality. You have to allow the dust to settle when it gets kicked up to avoid being blinded by it. If you don't, you will be like the rest of our idiot class, stumbling, blissfully unaware, and missing the entire context and point of what the issue was about in the first place. This exact trend happened in a very notable instance late last year. In October of 2023, a TikTok emerged from obscurity to take America's commentary and punditry class by storm, embroiling them in what seemed like a fruitless debate. For the uninitiated, it was another pointless dust-up, a dogpile that could have been shifted to more quote-unquote important subject material, like gender-neutral bathrooms or the war in Ukraine, for example. But remember, these people, mostly, are stupid. It would be wise to look further down the rabbit hole before stopping at the elevator at their level of intellectual depravity. In that TikTok, a young woman identified as Briella Cerro took to the most viral social media platform in the world to complain about her 9-to-5 job. 
Through her tears, she lamented about how her job in an undisclosed corporate setting, although this is public, was not what she had been promised and or told by the people who had advertised it to her. She, quote, didn't have any, have any time for anything, she bemoaned. She was sick constantly and had to use her PTO to accommodate for her misery, not for things like travel and time with her friends. And what it claimed to be a lifestyle where she could be flexible and make time for her friends and self-care, she found out very quickly that this was not the case at all. Work is hard, but apparently no one told her that work was hard. The video soon climbed over a million views on TikTok alone immediately after it was posted. Further, the TikTok was clipped and redistributed on several meme accounts and reposted by several people with more influential followings than Acero as a means of furthering their own clout by butting into the conversation. Acero soon went from becoming one of an untold many relatively anonymous young women on TikTok to becoming the flavor of the day for the culture to feast upon. It took approximately two seconds after the virality of Acero's TikTok to begin the argument for it to become politicized. Liberals on social media lauded Acero as a hero, claiming that the young woman was one of many that was continually oppressed by America's corporatocracy, that she was, quote, brave for bearing her emotions and, quote, authentic feelings about her workplace. Conservatives on social media called her lazy, browbeating her by saying that she should shut up and put her head down, pick herself up by her bootstraps, and stop complaining about her 3% 401k match and Uber Eats benefits. Per usual, and perhaps deservingly so, the mainstream press immediately took the side of Acero over the conservative backlash on Acero's video. In an interview with Rolling Stone, Acero argued that her video was being taken out of contest and used by, context and used by the right to bully her. It was just a video to vent, she claimed. It wasn't meant to make a political point. Instead, her frustration was now being used by elderly boomers and out-of-touch Gen Xers to bash Gen Z. There is perhaps some validity to this argument. However, we must remember that, given the cycle we articulated earlier, this is still in the dust-up phase. The air had not cleared as all this was happening. Even though Acero was getting simultaneously elevated and crucified by different parties, everyone doing the elevating and or crucifying was still tiptoeing around the conversation. There was a lot of parroting going on. The lack of original thought and leveraging of pre-existing talking points was stunning. Almost no one had the guts to be dangerous to say what was actually going on. The one person that did, at least that I saw, as per usual, was Matt Walsh. Walsh, the one commentator in the Daily Wire's upper echelon, and on the right, by the way, that is wholly unafraid to go completely against the grain for the sake of the truth, had, by far, the smartest take on Acero's 9-to-5 TikTok. Walsh's bravery, which has been on display for his entire career, was exemplified here completely. No one, particularly none of the depraved, idiotic, and shallow people on the American right, had the nerve to say what Walsh said. Walsh's point on Acero's 9-to-5 comments had nothing to do with her fortitude, mentality, and work ethic like all other conservatives who bashed her and dogpiled on her for. Instead, Walsh's point of attack had something to do with something else, something far more dangerous, particularly in the realm of American conservatives and the arguments they're constantly embroiled in today. Her priorities. American conservatives love to talk about the byproducts of the issues they claim to champion. And this is the wrong way to talk about anything. Talking about the effects of issues is largely completely and utterly useless. Instead, a far more constructive yet far more difficult conversation is one of causes and roots. This is why Walsh is hated by both the left and a good portion of the right. He doesn't mince words about anything, particularly about the failings of the right, to acknowledge the realities in front of their faces. However, this is what must be done to make a change about anything. Walsh's conclusion about the 9-to-5 TikTok girl were this. The causes and roots of Brielle Cerro's misery are not overworking and a lack of time management skills. That's just work. That should be expected. 
The causes and roots of Brielisero's misery are the lies of feminism and America's embrace of ideological capture by corporate America. This woman has been cheated and scammed by everyone who had apparently had her best interest at heart. She had been conned, used as another pawn, pawn in the machine by the people who only valued her for what she could provide as an output. We should feel bad for a young woman in a corporate job, Walsh stated. Her feelings are not invalid at all. It's time we stop lying to her, young women like her, and ourselves about it. Walsh's first point to back his claim was this. The claim that had been perpetuated in society that men and women are the same has been unbelievably destructive, particularly and primarily to women. This lie has led women to believe that in order to achieve, quote, equality, they must become men and not women. Any honoring of motherhood or part-time work has been obliterated. Any priority on traditional femininity has been abolished. Women, particularly in the generation of Brielle Acero, my generation, have been led astray by people who want to take advantage of them. This has not helped women at all. It has helped the people that have lied to them, as all lies do. It has helped enrich the powers of corporate America by making women abandon their traditional roles, most of whom, deep down, don't want to. It has helped the feminist movement, which has not made women empowered, but has completely shredded any aspect of womanhood by turning women culturally into men. It is the women that have paid the price in every way, from the sexual revolution to Me Too. This is becoming more and more obvious every day. More and more red pills are being swallowed. It's only a matter if you choose to stare at the truth in the eyes or not. Therefore, the question should not be, why are women like Briella Cerro miserable? The question should be, how could women like Briella Cerro not be miserable? Of course women in the modern day are miserable. Of course so many of them are adrift and feel like they're meaningless. It's because the world has made them to be and told them that they are, and they know it. It is because at the end of all of this, the culture we've helped to foster has made women meaningless when they clearly are not. Women, quite literally, are the bearers of the future and of life. To do what the culture has done to them is disgraceful, perhaps the most disgraceful thing that many of many that we've done. However, there is another point here that also needs to be addressed. Along with the conversation about the devaluing of women in society, there is an adjacent conversation that must be had, the elevation of the American corporation. The two trends go hand in hand because one cannot survive without the other. In order to exist in the modern times, corporations need to prey on everything that differentiates women from men. They need to remove gender entirely and turn us into robots, bland, meaningless, and undifferentiated cogs in the machine. I'm far from a person who thinks someone working a corporate job to support their family is an evil person. Working, particularly as a man, is an honorable thing to do. Furthermore, the people that provide those jobs, including corporations and the government, two entities I largely disagree with on most things, have value here too. It would not be good if both of them, two of the biggest providers of income for American families, fell off the face of the planet. But the opposite side of this conversation must be had as well. This is the side of the conversation that conservatives have been afraid to have for the entire modern era of life, particularly since Ronald Reagan embraced them with his presidency in the 1980s. I like Reagan. I think he was a good president and a good man. But where Reagan went wrong is not seeing this side of the argument and getting into bed wholesale with the corporate side of the American economy. He was too open, too trusting. The corporate world saw that and took advantage of him for it. As a Christian, I've begun to see this in a new and perhaps darker light as well. Corporations are, by definition, satanic things. They're completely of the world and devoid of all morality. When looked at this from a worldly perspective, this is not a bad thing at all. But from a Christian, per but from this perspective, there can't be any morality. We must be open, they say. There can be no place for controversy or judgment or hate 
or any of the subjective terms that they use to describe anything that disagrees from their bottom line. This is a problem for any principled person, but especially so-called conservatives. We have ceded ground to the corporate world, which has allowed that corporate world to pull a Trojan horse on our moral stances towards things. Conservatives have swapped out our morality, the only thing that gives us our school of thought legitimacy, for dollar signs. When looked at this from this perspective, I can't think of a worse possible trade-off. But nonetheless, the trade has been made, and our most vulnerable are paying the price for it. Young women, minorities, and other people who need the exact opposite treatment. It is this trend, the outsourcing of morality to the dollar, that has led our country into the chaos and disarray that it has fallen into. In our current moment, like the 9-to-5 TikTok girl tearfully articulated, we have prioritized work over everything else. That is the standard bearer, the thing that gives you value. All the things that are, quote, less than that, being a parent, a small group leader, a coach, a religious person, or any other role you could have, have been seated to the ground of our own pocketbooks. Our worth is not in anything that lasts beyond our bi-monthly paychecks. Any time anything short-term is incentivized over long-term value, you should immediately put your guard up. All value appreciates over time if it is indeed truly valuable. If anyone tries to convince you that immediate gratification to your worldly wants in the moment is better than that, you should immediately evaluate this person and see truly if they want the best for you. More than likely, given all that we know now, they do not. To prevent this, we need to do the thing that we have avoided doing for a very long time. Introduce a fervent and frantic era of reprioritization. It has been needed for a long time. Before our culture breaks, we would be wise to start putting our money where our mouth is. Work is a very important part of life, but it's not most important than, more important than what is endured in our culture. Family, nation, community, faith. An inversion of the two causes severe damage, particularly in a nation like America. The bottom line is this. Everyone cannot do everything, and everything should not be valued in equal sum. Period. Equality doesn't exist in a value-oriented lifestyle. Equality, to the contrary of quite literally everything in our culture today, is the enemy. Instead, a value-driven hierarchy must be the thing that governs you, not anything else outside of it. When this happens, when values are allowed to flourish, the best ones automatically rise to the top. Families get repaired. Communities begin to rebuild. Nations begin to come together. Culture begins to re-knit itself. But only if we let it. Right now, we're not. We can change, but only if we dig deep enough to acknowledge what we need to. Happy Monday, everybody. Happy President's Day. Have a great day. See you on Wednesday. Another great guest. I can't wait for you to meet him. Own the day. Open your mind. And thanks for listening, everybody.